Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Romans, and we're in chapter number five. Do you have your copy of God's Word? I hope that you do. You'll find with me Romans chapter number five. It's been a few weeks now since we've been in Romans, so we're back today in Romans chapter number five, and we're going to begin with verse number 12. This is beginning a new section in, and a new uh, stream of thought. Paul connects it with the word therefore in verse 12. We'll look at that in just a moment. It says in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law. But sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He's a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the, man's, the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. From many trespasses came the gift, resulting in in justification. If by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, there's justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father in heaven, speak to us today through your word. Father, we can't fully comprehend all that is in this passage there's mystery upon mystery that are only understood in your counsels. But Father, we thank you for your word and the inspiration of it and the instruction of it. And I pray that today as we read it and contemplate these great truths, that God, you would help us to live obediently, transformed by the one man, the new Adam, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Father, today I pray that we would set aside anything that would distract us. I pray that we would focus to hear you. 
Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to convict us of our sin, convince us of the truth, comfort us in our sorrows. And Father, I pray that you would correct us to walk rightly before you. I pray that you would strengthen us with your Holy Spirit's power to live a new life. The new life that we have in and through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Today I want us to think about the abounding grace that we have in Christ. As we look at this passage of scripture, it's universally agreed that it's one of the greatest theological sections in all of the entire, all of the Bible, especially this book of Romans. In these 10 verses, it's summarizing the theology of the preceding chapters. It's really about the lostness of man and his rescue through the provision that God has made for us in Jesus Christ. He's reminding us that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin and that Abraham is the father of all of us who place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And there are two really communities, one characterized by sin and guilt and the other characterized by grace and faith. This is one of the most difficult passages to understand. It is, Paul's thought is filled with passion and truth. And he's connecting some ideas with us. One commentator, Old Testament, a New Testament scholar who wrote concerning this passage of Scripture, he said Paul's thoughts leap forth like a torrential mountain stream, the rush And they rush on with such force that they don't always come carefully in a carefully formed expression. What what he means is Paul starts a sentence or an idea and then he'll stop and, and there's like a parenthesis and then another parenthesis and then he gets back to the original thought. And he's just, he's just, he's not the most craft, it's not crafted in, in, like you would do when you're writing a lecture. He's a preacher, and he's moved by the Spirit of God about these great ideas, and he wants us to hear them true. Sort of just a very simple outline. We talk about in this passage of Scripture the ruin of mankind, and then the rescue of mankind, and then the reign of mankind. Paul is showing in an intentional and progressive, positive movement how that man is in the abyss of ruin from Adam on. And that all of us have been affected by sin. And all of us are hopeless without Christ. And all of us are deserving death. And secondly, it shows us the rescue, how God lifts us out of the abyss to be the people of God and to reign with Jesus Christ. God's intention for mankind is restored. 
truth of the matter is, we are not reigning so much. We don't understand the reigning in Christ. But first of all, let's just look at the ruin of mankind. Now notice with me in verse number 12, therefore, now I think it's important to stop there, as we often say, when you see a therefore, we need to stop and see what it's there for, right? And so what is he connecting? I think he's connecting to what he said in the first half of Romans chapter 5. If you look at the first half of Romans 5 and then the second half of Romans 5, this conjunction, this adverb of conjunction, it says, therefore, some translations and use the more archaic, archaic term, wherefore. And it's, that's really a, a good translation because it's connecting the idea of why. And notice what he's saying here. He's saying that in verse number 11, he says, we, he says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and not only that, but we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we've now received this reconciliation. Therefore. And then he goes on to this next argument. And notice he also says, through our Lord Jesus Christ, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord in verse number 21. So it's a connection of these two. So what is he connecting? What is the idea he's using therefore? He's talking about why. Why? He's, it, he's made this whole argument to us. And he's talking about what God was doing and why he was doing it. And notice in this passage of Scripture, he's, he's saying that, that it's, a, it's, a, it's a progression. He's saying, listen, I think really he goes back to connect with Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it's written, the righteous will live by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He goes on to explain to us in Romans 1 and 2. He says, all of us have sinned. He says, the Gentiles and the pagan and the idol worshipers have sinned. And the wrath of God is rightly falling on them because the things about God that they know and should know in their own conscience and in the created order in which they live, they have rejected that and their minds have become darkened and they've begun to worship the creation rather than the creator and it's brought judgment and death upon them. But not only that, but, but the Jews too, you that have had the law, you who think you can teach others, don't you break the law also and your shut up and condemned by sin too. And you're a sinner and you need a savior. And that the only hope for all of us, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ for us all. In chapter 3, verse 19, he says, for we now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law. So that every mouth may be shut and the whole world might become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace 
How? Through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat, the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. And God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Our only hope is found in Jesus. And this is what Paul is connecting. He's saying, therefore, he's helping us understand this is what God has done. He, he's, he's bringing life to us. He's bringing hope to us. But in this most difficult passage of Scripture, as he looks at it, he's talking about, he says, he says, listen, when you want to understand it, chapter number five, look with me. In the immediate context, I think when he talks about the therefore, he's connecting in verse number 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved? And my translation says, by his life. Yours might say, through his life. I think it's even better translation, in his life. You see, our salvation is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Amen. In verse number 11, and not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. We are in union with Christ and our salvation is in Jesus Christ. The whole world is under wrath, Jew and Gentile alike, because of our union with Adam and the solidarity with Adam, with all of mankind, has brought death to all of us. But in union with Christ, we find God's grace, God's gift of righteousness and eternal life through Jesus Christ. So notice in chapter 5, verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world. How did the sin enter the world? It entered the world through one man. Who was the one man through whom sin entered the world? Adam, right? And so in these words, he's talking about man's ruin, the fall of Adam, the very first man. Now, Adam, listen close, Adam was a real man, Amen. Are you all awake this morning? He was a real man. Tell your neighbor, Adam really lived. All right? And his life has impacted you. So tell your neighbor, Adam has impacted your life. You see, he's the father of the human race. He was the very first man, and he represented man. Adam was made like no other man. In Genesis chapter number one, do you have your Bible? Look with me. In Genesis chapter number one, in verse number 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image 
according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. One man, two genders. This is God's creation. Chew on that for a minute. One man, two genders. One man, two genders. I don't think I'd really, normally you wouldn't have to talk about that because it seems pretty obvious. There's one man and there's only two genders. You understand? Male and female. I don't care what the world teaches. I don't care what's popular. Biblically speaking, theologically speaking, God created man and he made them male and female. While I'm on the subject, marriage is between a man and a woman. The world, when you take God out of the picture and his authority, then man just runs wild in all kinds of crazy thoughts. It's our rebellion and it's our sin. And it's an indictment on our mind that's been clouded and polluted by sin. It's popular in school. This is None of this is in my sermon, but I just feel a move to say this. It's popular in school and society and social media to say that there's not two genders or to say that marriage is not between a man and a woman. But the lies have been told from the beginning and it's to our destruction. And so I want us to know that sin has affected all of us. All of us. And and it is still impacting our lives. And this is the ruin of man. Now, Adam is made in the image of God. But after Adam's fall, we notice in chapter number five, something that's interesting. It says that when Adam gives birth and Eve to Seth, that, that in chapter 5, verse 3, listen to how it's described. Adam was 130 years old when, his fa- when he fathered a son. Notice verse 3, in his likeness. Whose likeness? Adam's likeness. And according to his image. Whose image? Yes, Adam's image. Yes, all of mankind are made in the image of God, but the image and the likeness was marred. And how was it marred? It was marred by sin. And there's been the devastation and the impact of sin. And so our only salvation is in Christ. It, our only salvation and our hope is in him. 
Adam's descendants bear the image of their father. The image of God is marred and distorted. And sin has entered into the world. And sin has affected all of us. Adam is our father. And Adam's sin affected our lives. This sounds so strange in Western individualism. Because in Western thinking, it's all about the individual, all about me, all about my, all about I. It's all about me. And the solidarity of mankind seems to be lost in these days. But this is not the thinking in Africa. It's not the thinking in Asia. It's not the thinking that's been in most of the world. Adam represents all of us. He was the first man, and Adam contained all of us seminally. Adam was the first, and we all go back to Adam. And in some way, we were really there when Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, we sinned, and all of mankind sinned with him. And that impact has affected all of us. And that sin has a penalty. And the wages of sin is death. In chapter 2 of Genesis, verse number 17, the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eat of it, you will certainly die. So this is the rule, the one law. But what happens? In the garden, Satan comes, disguised as a serpent, and he tempts the woman in the garden. And he says, did God really say you cannot eat from the tree of the garden? The woman said, we may eat of any of the trees of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we shall not eat of it or touch it or we will die. And Satan says, you will not die. Satan is a liar. He's always lying. And in fact, he says he's the father of lies. And the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And in fact, God knows when you eat, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. He said, the truth of the matter is, you'll be more like God if you eat of this fruit. And so the woman saw that it was delightful to look at. It was desirable for obtaining wisdom. That's what the world teaches. Look at this. If you do this, if you live like this, that, you'll really find yourself. You'll really find life. It's just a lie. And she took it and she ate it and she gave it to her husband with her, who was also with her and he did eat it. And notice the impact immediately. And the man and his wife, verse 7, it says, the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 8, they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Isn't that kind of funny? Adam and Eve knew the awesome power of who God was, and yet they're trying to hide in the bushes and think God won't see them there. Notice the devastation of all of this. We heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. That's the impact of sin. Separates you from one another. Separates you from God. 
brings destruction in your life, brings death into your life. He said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man steps up and takes full responsibility. He said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. This is the beginning of the first blame game. And the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Notice the devastation of it all. The Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed than many more lives, uh, of any livestock, more than any wild animal. You'll move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life, and I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I'll intensify your labor pains, and you'll bear children with painful effort. Women, say thanks, Adam. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. Verse, 12, verse 17, because you've listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I've commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You'll eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. Guys, men, say thanks, Adam. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Now mark this, since you were taken from it, for you were dust, and you will return to dust. Amen. This is death. The first man and the first woman would never have sinned, if never had sinned, would have lived forever. And they would have ruled and they would have reigned. But they did sin and it brought death. The day that it, you eat of it, you will surely die. They died spiritually, but they would die physically. That sin, Adam's sin, affected us. It infected us worse than any pandemic. And we are all guilty too. Amen. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Amen. The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. Amen. This sin has devastated us. It spread to all men. It entered, sin entered. Sin existed before, but it hadn't entered into the world. That's Paul's argument in chapter 5, 12. And then sin enters into the world, and because of it, death. And then death has spread to all men because all men sinned. Sin brings death. And death has spread to all men, and death reigned from Adam unto Moses. Sin is damaging to self. Listen to me. 
Sin destroys your life. Sin distances you from God and from one another. Sin causes you to be bankrupt, destitute. It brings distrust, and sin brings death. Sin never brings life. It always brings death. And Adam sinned, and it brought death. Death to all men. Verse number 15, Romans 5, 15. Listen to what he says. The gift is not like the trespass, for if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift that comes through grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, afloat, overflowed to the many. Universal death because of this one single solitary sin. And so here's the argument Paul's making. He's saying, yes, death came into all mankind, but there wasn't a law given until Moses. And so the law, all of these men that lived from Adam to Moses, they still died, even though the law wasn't given. And how can you be a lawbreaker if you don't have the law? But death was still there because all sinned. And when Adam sinned, sin it was accounted to all of us. And some of us don't like that. We don't like that idea. Well, that's not fair. But, but, but it's true on the flip side of God's goodness and grace because Christ poured all, paid for our, all of our sins on the cross. And when you're in Jesus Christ by faith, then the righteousness of Christ is given unto you. So death and sin came to us through Adam, but life comes through Jesus Christ. And you don't earn your salvation. It's the work of God's grace for you. When Achan sinned, the Lord God says to Joshua, he says, Israel has sinned. It was one man's sin, but affected all of Israel in the, the defeat at Ai. Sin has an effect on us. Sin our sin drove Jesus Christ to the cross. The old black spiritual song, Negro spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord? What's the answer? Yes, I was there. Because my sin was taking him to the cross. Horatius Bonar wrote, "'Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Son of God. I joined in the mockery. I was there. When Jesus Christ died, he died our death. When Jesus Christ was buried, he was paying for our sin. When Jesus Christ rose again, he defeated death. He died, he bore my sin. He rose, he arose for me. And in Christ is my salvation. And when I'm in Christ by faith, I have life everlasting. Hallelujah. If God wanted to be fair, he would have just wiped us all out in our sin. So when Adam sinned, so did we. But when Jesus died, he paid for all of our sin. And he rose again and he imputes his righteousness to me. This is the ruin of mankind and the rescue of mankind. 
The second Adam is introduced, and it's an analogy. Jesus is like Adam, he's saying. He's saying he's the type of a coming one, but he's different than Adam. He's contrasted to Adam. Notice the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more the grace of God and gift that comes to the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to many. Christ came. He released us from the bankruptcy of sin. He released us from the blame of sin in verse 16. He released us from the bondage of sin. Verse 16 says, the gift is not like the one man's sin because from one sin came judgment. So it's sin, judgment, condemnation. But from many trespasses, a multitude of sins, came the gift resulting in what? Justification. For if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more? will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He, he transforms everything, saves. He, do, he changes it all. Christ's death and resurrection is far superior in power than Adam's devastating sin. It's amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. The gift is not like the one man's sin. The second Adam, Christ, from many transgressions, comes this gift resulting in justification. And from this one man, death reigned. But from the second, new first man, grace, righteousness, and the reign of life. That's the greatness of God's rescue for all of us. Finally, there's the reign of mankind. Notice in verse number 20 and 21, it says, though the law came along to multiply the trespass, you can almost hear the Jews' argument, well, what about the law? How, what does the law do for us? Why is this all given to us? But the law just shows us how desperately wicked and sinful we are. Folks, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And when the law came, we just sinned all the more. Notice it multiplied the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Can somebody say hallelujah? There's no shortage to God's grace. Aren't you glad? So that just as sin reigned in death, so grace will reign through righteousness resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law came to increase the trespass, but the law cannot save us. There's nothing wrong with the law. The issue is sin that dwells in us. And we cannot overcome, we cannot obey God because of this sin that's in us. But God came, Christ came to show us God's amazing grace and transformation of our life 
through Jesus Christ. In the book of Galatians, chapter number 3, I know this is a very doctrinal sermon, so stay with me. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 19. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Who is that? That's Jesus. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now mediator is not just one person alone, but God is one. Now listen. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everyone under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until faith, the, until the coming of faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian unto Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is God's grace abounding. Abounding for all of us. You see, we're all sinners. Y'all agree with that? We're all sinners? You were born in sin. Psalm 51, 5. In sin, you were conceived. From your conception, you were sinner. You're sinners as babies. All of us have sinned. Death has come to us all. If we don't believe that, that only sinners die, and if you're not a sinner from birth, why do babies die? Because we're all under the guilt of sin and the impact of sin. Jesus has come to change it all by his grace. We're all partners with our ancestors. But sin is devastating to us. It's devastating psychologically. It's devastating spiritually. It's devastating relationally. It's devastating physically. And death is the wage of sin. It's not your individual sin. It's the sin of Adam that brought death and death to all of us. But God loved us. And he sent his son, the second Adam, to live a perfect, holy life. And the one lived in disobedience, but he came to live in obedience. And this one act affects all of us. Christ was obedient. Christ submitted to the Father. Christ died our death. Christ experienced our condemnation. Christ bore our sorrows and made them his very own. 
Christ fulfilled the law of God and Christ Jesus paid our sin in full. Amen. He alone is the propitiation for our sin. Yes, Lord. Amen. And he gives grace and he gives righteousness and he gives life and he gives abundant, abundant grace. And so we reign in life. We are co-heirs with Christ. And we are adopted sons and daughters. And no matter how great your sin is, the grace of God runs deeper. I was having a conversation this week with a woman at a restaurant and she was waiting on me, and there was a contrary patron in the couple booths down. And when she came to refill my coffee cup, she just rolled her eyes, and she said, Lord, have mercy. i got to put up with these people today. And I said, are, you, are they getting on your last nerve? She said, I don't know what happened with COVID, but everybody's grouchy ever since. I said, does it make you grouchy? She said, I'm so grouchy, I can't hardly stand it. And I said, so it's affected all of us, hasn't it? She stopped, she looked at me, she said, yeah, I guess it's affected all of us. I said, you know, God loves you. And Christ died for you. She said, I'll be back. She went and waited on some other people and she came back. She goes, do you think he really did die for me? I said, yes. If you'll put your faith and trust in him, he died for you. Are you sure he loves me? I said, I know that he loves you. She goes, but I hate how I am. I said, God hates it how all of us are. But Christ came to save us from that. I said, there's one who can forgive you of all of your sin." Tears welled up in her eyes. And she said, but you don't know all, to what I, all that I have done. I said, no, I don't know all that you've done, and you don't know all that I have done. But I know all that Jesus has done. And he died for all of your sin. And I said, your sin cannot exhaust the grace of God. No matter how bad you've sinned, he can forgive you and make you whiter than snow. He can forgive all of your sin and drown it in the depths of the sea. And when he died, he paid for it all in full. And she said, even me. I said, especially you. This is the grace of God. Chapter number 3, verse 27 of Galatians says, For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. 
Did you know you can be clothed in Christ? Christ's life, Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness, Christ's goodness, Christ's love. Verse 28, there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You're all one. All lines of racism, all lines that mark us, you can become one in Christ. Notice it's in Christ Jesus, verse 28, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. In Christ, we are one. In Christ, we are whole. In Christ, we are Abraham's seed. And in Christ, we're clothed with righteousness. Chapter number four, verse number four. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Tell your neighbor, you are a son of God. Adopted. Verse 6 And because your son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Daddy, Father, you're a child of God. Woo! You're not a son of Adam. You're now a child of the king. Verse 7, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God made you an heir, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's the great reversal. That's the great change. From being sons of Adam in sin to sons of God in Christ. Are you a child of the King? Old gospel song goes like this. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holds the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. With Jesus, my savior, I'm a child of the king. My father's own son, the savior of men, once wandered on earth as the poorest of them. But now he is pleading our pardon on high that we may be his comes by and by. I'm a child of the king. A child of the king. With Jesus my savior. I'm a child of the king. A tent or a cottage. Why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. <laughs> Though exiled, exiled from home. Yet still may I sing. All glory to God. I'm a child of the king, a child of the king, a child of the king.
with Jesus, my Savior, I'm a child of the King. Amen. Father, thank you for this great truth. Lord, I know your Holy Spirit is pleading with hearts today to turn from sin and turn to a Savior. By faith, to put our faith in Jesus Christ and find forgiveness, healing, redemption, wholeness, sonship, and life. Oh, Father, may we turn to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.